Well, as we have just seen, the physical word, the promises of God, applied through the sacrament of baptism. Now we get to read of these promises and hear the truths of Scripture. Our Scripture reading this morning is found in Luke 7, 36 through chapter 8, verse 3. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood before him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissing them and pouring perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him, and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, and, one, and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debts of both. Now which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had a bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been, he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. After this, Jesus traveled about one of the town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had been cast out. Jonah, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susan, and many others. These women were helping to support them out, helping to support them out of their own means. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. If you're visiting with us this morning, uh, we are in a study in the gospel according to Luke. We're going episode by episode, line by line, and looking at this great gospel written by the Gentile writer Luke. Mark and Matthew and John were all Jewish, and God provided a Gentile to write what is the most detailed of the four gospels. This morning's message is quite different. In fact, when I left here last Sunday at the close of the message, if you would have asked me 
John, what's the subject for next week? I would have said it's the parable of the sower. It comes, we've been in chapter 7. It comes in chapter 8. It's the first of a series of parables. It's a powerful, rich uh, parable. I was looking forward to preaching, to studying this week in that passage and preaching. In Scripture, we find what I call in-between verses. Uh, In-between verses are where the writer says, and Jesus from there went to here, and he was with so-and-so. And you usually don't hear people preach on those in-between passages. Uh, if you look at, you, you know, last week we looked at uh, the woman of ill repute in the house of Simon the Pharisee and the exchange that took place there. If you were not here last Sunday, uh, the preacher wasn't much, but the uh, sermon was. The Lord really blessed it in spite of the preacher. Go back and listen to it because it serves as a backdrop to this morning's message. But as I read the first three verses of chapter 8, they're in between verses. It talks about Jesus going from town to town and who was with him. And I started to skip over those. The more that I looked, I just couldn't do it. Uh, I went back to previous times and I preached, preached on this passage. And I had just skipped those three verses, pretty much. I read scores of sermons this week, and I do mean scores of sermons. Dealing with this passage, I found one sermon that that dealt with the content of the first three verses of chapter 8. That's what we will do this morning. We're at an in-between passage. Uh, I hope you have the scripture verses that were passed out. If you don't have your Bible, I hope you have the scripture verses provided. Uh, if you don't, raise your hand and we'll get them to you because they'll be of help this morning. If you don't want to raise your hand, you can go to the narthex and they'll be out there. Let's pray together. Our Father, we come as priests this morning. Priests for each other. Priests for the people that have been mentioned for Priscilla Turner, for Laura Bearman. Father, you know each one and you know their needs. For Vic Shivers, for Larry Shelley. We pray that, Father, you would meet their needs and bring healing, bring life, Father. Most of all, we pray that you would strengthen their faith and give them strength for these days in their lives. Our Father, as we uh, participated in the baptism of Henry Moore this morning. We pray for the children of Christ Presbyterian Church. Father, we pray that you will raise a generation out of this church such as Fayette County has never seen. Now, Father, as we open your word, John Sartell is not able to teach so that it will make any difference in our lives. John Sartell cannot speak so that our hearts will be changed or that we'll grow in Christ. But you're able to speak that way and we pray that as you are here, that you will speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that you would speak to me by the power of your Holy Spirit. When we leave here in a few minutes, 
may we know that you have spoken. Our Father, we pray in Jesus' name. We pray for his glory. Amen. The peculiar company of the followers are the followers Jesus always assembles. The eighth chapter begins after this. Luke was linking it to what had come before. He was linking it to what happened in the home of Simon the Pharisee. He was linking it to that woman of ill repute and her love of Christ and the mercy that she had received from him. Jesus has left that house. He's going throughout the towns in Galilee to teach, to preach. But after this, relates what Luke is about to say to what happened in that house of Simon the Pharisee. In fact, we could have a backdrop here to the whole message, and the backdrop would be the woman crying at the feet of Jesus. Why do we know that? Well, it's very easy if you look at this passage, and you really have to look at it, and stay with me in the early part of this message, because you'll be blessed if you, if you do. It will help you to... To, to lay the foundation for understanding what was happening. Why didn't Luke write, after this, you look at verse 1, after this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Why didn't he write that and then go down immediately to verse 4? While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town to town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow seed. Why didn't he just drop down to there? Why did he stop and mention the 12 again? Why did he mention the women who were there with him? Why did he call each one by name? The woman anointing the feet of Jesus in Simon's house was what made Luke mention these other women. You see, that, that scene is not about Simon. It's about the woman worshiping Jesus, loving the grace she had received from him. And the first three verses of chapter 8 are about other women from Galilee who had been healed by Jesus and followed him. Now Luke knew that the reader the ordinary reader would assume the 12 were worth Jesus. They always were. He had introduced them by name earlier. But it was Luke's intention to tell us about the people who were there involved in Jesus' ministry, people we otherwise would have not known, people that contributed significantly to his ministry. And he mentions three 
women by name. Women that had been healed by Jesus. Look at the verse. The 12, and then with verse 2, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chuzza, the manager of Herod's household, and Susanna, and many others. Those three women had all experienced healing of some sort. Luke, as we have seen over and over again, is a thorough historian and a wonderful writer. He had the story, he had told the story of the woman of ill repute who had believed and washed Jesus' feet at Simon's dinner. And now, he says, I must tell you about the role some other special ladies played in this ministry. As we look at their lives, I want you to see this. Jesus calls and assembles his followers, and none are to be counted insignificant. Jesus calls and assembles his followers, and none are to be counted insignificant. Look at the last part of verse 1 of chapter 8 in verse 2. The 12 were with him, and also some women who had been cured from evil spirits and disease. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, wife of Chuzzlewit, and the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. He starts with the 12. Think about who were with the 12. There was Peter, the great leader of the early church. There was John, the writer of the fourth gospel in the book of Revelation. There was Matthew, a gospel who would become a gospel writer. There were James and Andrew, brothers of John and Peter. And in the same sentence as the 12, in the same sentence of this, of the famous 12, he mentions Mary of Magdalene. He mentions Joanna, the wife of Chuzzle, who was associated with Herod's household, and Susanna. Luke tells us that these women had been healed by Jesus and that they were significant. They played a significant role in the ministry of the twelve, in Jesus' overall ministry. It will become obvious to you this morning that they just didn't mail in the checks. That they were women of means and, and they financially supported this ministry. They just didn't mail in their checks. It will become obvious that they were with Jesus and involved and the twelve, and involved in the day-to-day ministry. I want to remind you of a lesson from the Gospels that you have heard many times from this book. The people gathered by Jesus will always be a peculiar people. They'll be a different people. People that are different from each other. It's true, it was true for the 12. Think about it. The 12 were made up of professional fishermen of all people. They were made up of a tax collector, a businessman. Another man, one of the 12, was a zealot against the Roman occupation. 
the 12 were an odd mix. What was it that the Sanhedrin said about Peter and John when they had been arrested after the death and crucifixion of Jesus, after the resurrection, after the ascension? Look at Acts 4.13 on your scripture sheet. Here are these two men, former fishermen, standing next to each other before the great Sanhedrin of all of Israel, being tried. Verse 13, we read, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They looked at Peter and John, it says unschooled. The Greek word is agramadia. It's where we get uh, our word grammar from. And ah was negative. In other words, they were not schooled. They, they had not been to the University of Jerusalem. But it also adds, it says there, look at it, ordinary men. You know what the word, this is interesting. You know what the Greek word they use there? It's idiom. The word from the Greek word from which we get our word idiot from literally says they looked at him and said they were idiots. Doesn't have the same connotation. It, it simply means that they were plebeian. That uh, for you from the University of Mississippi, that means uh, peasant. They were peasants. They looked at him and said these are peasant people. And the, the women were no different. They were different from each other. They were not they were not cloned. Mary Magdalene, of all things, had been possessed by demons. I mean, that's embarrassing. Joanna, she was associated with the house of Herod. You know who Herod was? You know how wicked he was? Her husband managed his Entire household, it would have been massive. And then we don't know who Susanna, this is the only place Susanna is mentioned in the Gospels. But people in the early church, when Luke was writing this, people, everyone knew Susanna, or he wouldn't have named her. He just said Susanna. Everyone in Jerusalem, everyone that was in the, in the early church somehow knew this lady. You read these people in Joanna? From Herod's household? Seriously? Uh, a woman who had been demon-possessed? Seriously? An unusual mix. We learn from this. Jesus is not in the habit of cloning his followers. If we were choosing, if you and I were choosing fellow members of Christ Presbyterian Church, we would choose people like us. I would choose people that loved orange and can sing Rocky Top with zeal. Jesus, on the other hand, or, or some of you, excuse me, some of you would choose those outcasts who wear the blue and red of old Miss and chant that awful hotty toddy thing. And some would say, well, at least we're all in the SEC. But Jesus 
He chooses people that have no love of the University of Tennessee, the Vols, no love of the Ole Miss Rebs. He chooses people that don't even like football. He chooses people of all things that don't hunt or fish. And they live in Fayette County. He chooses people that have just moved out from the city. And he chooses people that have been in Fayette County all their lives for generations. See, none of these people chose themselves. None of these people chose each other. Jesus chose them. If you understand Scripture correctly, none of you are here at Christ Presbyterian Church this morning. Because you chose it. I'm not following Jesus. Because I'm following Jesus because he chose me. Frankly, I never forget the first church I was in. As I prayed that he would grow the church. There were some people coming that were really weird. And I thought, and, and I said in my prayers, Jesus, what are you doing? This person over here would be a much greater choice. I've been praying for him for a long time. And Jesus said, John, you don't choose my church. I do. We're assembled by Jesus. We're assembled by him. And you look around and you see people that are different. You see people that are weird. Weird to you? You've got to remember, you're just as weird to them. All you have to do is look at that person. That person is in Christ's Christian church because Jesus chose them. That's it. That's all you need to know. Jesus said them. Jesus brought them. He's the common denominator. Go back to Acts 4.13. When they saw the courage of John and Peter and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. He was a common denominator. He's the glue. He binds us together. Jesus calls and assembles his followers and none are to be counted insignificant. Now, let's move to the second point. Jesus calls his followers to saving faith and he calls them to faith during the worst of times. Look at Luke 7.50. Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now look at Luke 8. One through three, the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, wife of Joseph, the manager of Herod's household, and Susanna, and many others. All those four women had been saved by faith. Remember what was Jesus' last words to the woman of ill repute? Your faith has saved you. The three women of chapter 8 that have been named were spiritually sick or physically diseased 
And they had obviously looked to Jesus in faith to be healed. They had gone to him with demons or with disease and been healed. Now, faith, when you've been healed, faith when God has prospered you, faith when God has blessed you and your family, faith is much easier in those times when the sun is shining and everything is going right. What did, what did Satan say to God about Job? And this is not on your scripture sheet. What did, what, what did God, God said to Satan, hey, look at my servant Job. Look at him. Look at his great affection for the God who made him and the God who saved him. And what did Satan say? Satan said, yes, God, but you have greatly prospered him. Take away his prosperity and see what happens. Take away his prosperity and he'll abandon his faith. He'll curse you. Now, of course, that happened. And Job remained faithful. But the point, Satan's point, and it's true, Faith becomes hard the darker it gets. Now, why am I telling you this? Do you know that these women that were named in Luke 8, did you know they became famous? They became famous all over the early church. They became known as the women of Galilee. I want to show you. The next time Luke mentions these women, they're at the cross. They're at Golgotha at the crucifixion. They're at the very cute crucifixion of Jesus. Look at Luke 23, 49. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee. Isn't that something? He doesn't say the 12. He doesn't say just the women in general. He says the women who had followed him from Galilee. Stood at a distance watching these things. Now, as those women stood there, they had been healed by Jesus. They had seen others healed. They had seen the glory days of Jesus Christ. But this was not a glory day. This was a crucifixion day. He was beaten almost to death by the Roman scourging. He was nailed to a shameful cross for the world to see. But they were there. They had not deserted him. They were not ashamed of him. The great men of the twelve had scattered in fear. But the women of Galilee, they were there. Then it became even darker for these women. Look at Luke 23, 55. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in. These women wanted to know. Remember, Joseph of Arimathea went to Pilate and asked for his body. Pilate gave it to him. He was a man of great wealth, a man of great significance. And the women went from Golgotha, where his body had been taken down, and they followed him to the tomb. They stood back. They followed at a distance. But they were there. They watched as Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus laid the corpse of Jesus in Joseph's tomb. This had been the darkest day of their lives, and they were still there.
Why? Why would they want to anoint his body in burial? Had he not deceived them? He was dead. His claim to be Messiah had to be false. They had been duped. I mean, think about it. Would you have been there? Messiahs don't get crucified. He was the king that was to come and rescue Israel. But they hadn't forsaken him. They were still there. Jesus calls and assembles his followers, and none are to be counted as insignificant. Jesus calls his followers to saving faith and to faith during the worst of times. And finally, faith in Jesus in the darkest hours will always be vindicated. Most of the people here, we've been in situations where we've prayed and we've prayed and we've prayed. And the person wasn't healed. Or we've prayed and prayed. And it didn't seem to be any favorable answer to our prayers. Maybe some of you are praying that way now. Well, Jesus calls us to a faith in the darkest hours and says, your faith will always be vindicated. Look at Luke 24, 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. These weren't just any women. You know, if you start with 24, 1, you just think, well, these are the women of Jerusalem or women somehow. Say, no. Go back. What are the two verses before Luke 24, 1. It's Luke 23, 55, and 56. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph, saw the tomb, and how the body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. And then on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away. Who were the women? They were the women of Luke 23, 55 and 56. The women from Galilee. Their faithfulness was rewarded. The women of Galilee were the first disciples to see the risen Jesus. They had stayed faithful through the darkest midnight. They were the first to see the sun come up. They were the first to see the dark. In their faithfulness. They stayed through Golgotha. They stayed through the death. The cross. They stayed through the misery. Of a corpse being laid in the tomb. One of the most amazing stories. In, uh, that I've ever read. Was in a book titled Endurance. By Alfred Lansing. It's the record of Ernest Shackleton's effort to cross the continent of Antarctica. He failed to accomplish that goal as his ship, the Endurance, became stuck in polar ice. And they were unable to land and start the journey across the continent. What happened in the crew's effort? 
to get back home is nothing short of incredible. Their ship was crushed by ice. The ship's name was Endurance. And the crew in Shackleton, under the leadership of the town, take the lifeboats. They pull them over ice. After months and months and months, they go across water to Elephant Island. And then Shackleton, with four others, in a 23-foot boat, crosses 650 nautical miles of Arctic Sea. He goes to South Georgia Island. He leaves 22 men on Elephant Island. His intent was to go to South Georgia Island and return. It was a whaling village and return with a larger ship to take the crew back. The crew left on Elephant Island would get up every morning they would climb a hill in the worst of weather where they could see out to sea to look for a ship. That's how they started every day. For four months and six days, every day, they climbed to the top together, all 22, looking for the ship to return, for Shackleton to return. Now, the odds were that he would never make it across 650 miles of Arctic Sea in a 23-foot boat. I mean, would you have been climbing that hill looking? I would say, guys, he's not coming back. All 22 climbed. On August the 30th, they climbed that hill. No ship. They went back to their business. But a man named Marston, who loved to sketch and to draw, went back up on the hill to do some sketches. He looked out, and there was a ship sailing right for them. And that camp came to life. I was, I've just always been impressed. With this story. I mean, I, I've got to tell you, I wouldn't have been climbing that hill every day. I would have just been in despair. I mean, Shackleton, he was a great leader, but there's some things just beyond us. That they had faith in Shackleton. How much greater should our faith be? During the darkest of times, you know, their faith was not real justified because Shackleton was just a man. On the other hand, our faith is in Jesus, the Son of God incarnate. 
who went to the cross and before God Almighty, with our sin, died a death only he could die, endured a judgment only he could endure, and walked victorious from the grave. He is in glory at this very hour all week long and the next week and the next week and the next month until he returns. He is in glory at the right hand of the Father, interceding for me and interceding for you. You keep looking to Jesus, no matter how dark it gets. No matter how dark it gets in your life, where healing doesn't come. Sometimes the greatest witness we have is not in healing. But in the witness we have in death. And how we look at death and say, death, where's your sting? Grave, where's your victory? Because Christ has died and Christ reigns and death does not have the last word. Death, we have a place to go. And it's home. And it's to glory. And if I live long enough, he's returning. There at Golgotha, the women were there. The women of Galilee. You didn't know who they were before you came this morning. Now you do. The women of Galilee. They were there at the cross. They were there at the tomb. And their faith was vindicated. They were there to see an empty tomb and a risen Jesus. Amen. Our hymn is most fitting.